It's Jesse. If you're hearing this, that means my limited edition capsule collection for Joe Fresh is out now. <laughs> In select stores and at joefresh.com, I designed matching pieces for the entire family in a really fun, bold checkerboard print, including a baby romper, toddler and kids dress, a kids t-shirt and short set, a shirt for men, and the cutest women's linen short set that you will live in all summer long. Every piece is under $35 and warning, you will get compliments wherever you go. Shop it now before it's gone. This week on Phone a Friend, Lindsay Lohan's parent trap, Avril Lavigne's booby trap, Paris Hilton's thirst trap, and I am trapped in 2006. Plus, I have a lot of thoughts and questions about the Oscars, so I'm calling someone who was there backstage behind the scenes for all of it. I definitely have more Oscar knowledge than almost anybody will ever be. Yes, certainly. This episode's gonna slap. Get it? Sorry. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Girl, let's phone a friend with Jesse Cruikshank. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Phone a Friend. I'm Jesse Crookshake, and I just, I feel like I need to admit something right out of the gate. Um, I am an internet stalker of today's Phone a Friend. I am phoning Louis Vertel. This is somebody I've loved ever since I discovered him on Twitter back when, like, Twitter was a thing. I love his podcast, Keep It. I just think he's, like, super funny and smart. And he is a writer for Jimmy Kimmel. He was backstage at the Oscars. So I'm going to force him to tell us everything he saw. We're going to talk about the slap jokes. I'm going to give... um. A controversial take on Ashley Graham versus Hugh Grant, and I'll give out my best and worst dressed awards. Also controversial. Just as glamorous as the Oscars, my daughter was sent home from daycare last week with pink eye. I had just released the episode with Chris Kirkpatrick, so I'm like riding high. My life dream has come true. And then the phone rings. And I don't know if you do this, but when I see that my kid's school is calling, my instinct is to like panic and immediately hang up. It's residual trauma from the COVID days when preschool would call if my kid had like a drop of moisture anywhere near his nose. I'd have to pick him up and quarantine him for like 10 days. So now I just don't take the calls. I was like, saw the phone ringing. I'm like, do you know who I am? I just interviewed Chris Kirkpatrick, the guy from InSync who used to have dreadlocks and braces. I don't have time to pick up my sick kid. Anyway, they kept calling. And so eventually I answered and I had to pick her up immediately, take her to the doctor, get the prescription, keep her away from other kids for days, like the whole thing. But you know, when you're trying to work full time with a sick kid at home, especially a sick toddler, you do whatever you need to do. You turn to coping mechanisms that you're not proud of. And my coping mechanism, this is hard to say out loud, was Cocomelon. So Cocomelon, 
uh, is the most watched children's show in the world. It has billions of views. It's streamed more than Squid Game, Bridgerton, and Wednesday combined on Netflix. Now, I haven't shown Romy much TV. It's like really not recommended for kids under two. I've been pretty good about it. But last week, I just, I broke I was trying to get ready for a shoot. She was literally pulling every tampon out of my drawers. So I broke and I showed her one Coco Melon video on my phone and it was over. It was like crack cocaine. Like I could see little like heroin shooting into her bloodstream. She saw one video. It was the song about the peas. You know this one? Peas, peas, it's time to eat your peas. So she hears this and she's all, Coco Melon? Coco Melon. I tried saying, like, no more Coco Melon, and she was all, Coco Melon. And because she runs me, okay, because I'm terrified of my 21 month old daughter, I let her watch more. And then I realized this show, the world's most popular kids' show, is literally the same shit, different words. Here's the haircut song. Cut, cut. It's time to cut my hair. Yes, 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 I want to cut my hair. This is the same tune as the P song, but it's about haircuts. This same song exists about bedtime. This is the laziest shit I have ever heard. I started letting her watch more out of, like, rage and spite because I'm out here killing myself trying to make things that are different and original. And these fools are just putting bad computer animation to nursery rhymes and changing the words and making billions. And the words don't even rhyme. It's like, carrots are good for you. Yay, yay, yay. I love them. Ooh. You can't rhyme. Ooh. Shakespeare is shaking in his grave. Now, I only have three days worth of Coco Melon experience. So I don't want to judge too harshly, but then I look and see that the most streamed Coco Melon song is called The Bath Song. It has six billion YouTube views. It is the fourth most watched video ever on YouTube, like right next to Desposito. So I thought maybe this has an original tune that rhymes words with other words. No, it's just baby shark with different words. I couldn't believe it. I was like, who are these dummies that think this is good? And then I looked down at my daughter. So if anyone can suggest Coco Melon Rehab, a Coco Melon sponsor, weekly meetings, anything to help with Coco Melon withdrawal, please let me know because I have to get my one-year-old clean and sober. I slipped in a dark time and now I have to get her up on the path to recovery. <laughs> From a talking 3D baby to the most prestigious films in the cinematic landscape, let's talk about the Oscars and so much more. It's been a week. It's been a week. Yeah. A few breaking news stories before we get to the Oscars. First, non-Academy Award winner Lindsay Lohan is pregnant. She's expecting with her um, husband, who's like a finance guy named Bader Shamas. And if there's anything I love more than a celebrity pregnancy announcement, it's a redheaded celebrity pregnancy announcement. Because, you know, statistically, we are a dying breed. I am part of the problem. I produce three non-redheaded children. And that's why I should have married a ginge. I think about it every day. I'm hoping Lindsay's genetics come through harder than mine did. And heads up, if you frantically Google Lindsay Lohan pregnant like I did, you will get mostly hits about her 2009 straight-to-DVD movie Labor Pains, which... It's about a woman who pretends to be pregnant to avoid being fired from her job. But forget about that, like everybody else did. And go to her Instagram to see the announcement. Although there's not much to see. It is a photo of a baby's onesie, just a little white onesie, that says coming soon. And I don't even think the coming soon is printed on the onesie. It's just a onesie with italic text typed over top that says coming soon. 
don't want to take away from the excitement of the pregnancy or the announcement, but I just feel like I needed a little more from the announcement. Okay? Is that fair to say? I needed a little belly reveal. I needed to see the freckles on the belly. You know, her caption just says, we are blessed and excited. Like, I don't know. Jason, my producer. Jason, are you here? Yeah, I'm here. He thinks maybe she's expecting via surrogate, right? Which is why she just put the little onesie pick on. It could be possible, yeah. Totally possible. But Jason, I am an investigative Instagram journalist. And I have noticed that her last seven posts are all pics from the chest up, okay? That is what you post when you are hiding a pregnancy. If you go back to my pre-baby announcement posts, they're just all face shots or like TBTs. So if she is physically pregnant, I would just like her to know we are thrilled for her, we are here for the low Hanissance, and we are ready and waiting for any and all bump shots she is ready to post. We will also accept her dancing with the bump in Mykonos, okay? <laughs> if she wants to share that video, we will accept that as well. And I know she's not going to be like a regular mom. She's going to be a cool mom. Thank you. Now let's get into the award show that everyone is talking about. The Canadian Juno Awards. <laughs> it was hosted by Simu Liu, hot. It happened on a Monday night in Edmonton, also hot. But instead of talking about the Canadian music industry and all of its hardworking artists, everybody is talking about the topless streaker who rushed the stage while Avril Lavigne was introducing a performer. So I, I feel like you must have seen this. The woman is wearing nothing but pink pants, nipple stickers, and has the words, save the green belt, written on her back. Lower back, I feel it should be noted. She was protesting a controversial Ontario development plan in the green belt, and my thoughts are as follows. Yes, here I am talking about the green belt. So, you know, her message was heard and seen and posted all over the internet. So on the one hand, like, she did it. On the other hand, not great timing. Avril was introducing A.P. Dillon, who was about to become the first Punjabi singer to perform at the Junos, which is a big moment that, you know, was completely overshadowed. What was so funny to me was that this woman rushes the stage with a big star on it. I mean, Avril is one of our, our biggest stars this woman is nude. She could have had a weapon. You don't know. Avril is clearly uncomfortable. And it takes 18 seconds for one security guard to walk up onto the stage and then just ever so slowly just gently walk her off. That is the most Canadian shit I have ever seen. If this happened in the U.S., security would be rushing that stage. They would be pinning her to the ground. But in Canada, we just let her stroll on up the stage, onto the stairs. Oh, take your time. Oh, you want to say something? Sure. Uh, sorry, I, I think we got to get you off now, but thank you so much for coming. They probably offered her like a, a blanket to warm up backstage. It's also Canadian. And you know what? It kind of makes me proud. Like, we knew that she just wanted to come up and make a political statement. She's not going to harm anyone. That's the country I want to live in. I want to live in a country where someone can rush a celebrity on stage and no one is worried about any real violence. The only thing more Canadian than that at the Junos was Nickelback performing a medley of hits in 2023. Finally, Paris Hilton just released her memoir. And can I just say, it really, really feels like these top stories were ripped from the headlines in 2006. <laughs> we just moved from Lindsay to Avril to Paris Hilton. And that's it's because it's my show. It's your show, girl. So there are major bombshells in this Paris Hilton book. And you know I am sliving for it. Thank you. Some dark revelations about abuse, about rape, about grooming. But here are a few of the lighter revelations that are really keeping me up at night. Number one, she says she stole her iconic catchphrase, that's hot, from her sister Nikki. So Paris overheard Nikki say it when they were younger. She says she wrote it down in her, quote, bedazzled diary so she wouldn't forget it. And I mean, that's hot, okay? There's nothing hotter than a bedazzled diary. I don't even think she needed to specify that the diary was bedazzled. Like, that's how I actually envisioned it in my head as I was reading it. 
Number two, Paris apparently has five cell phones. One is for work. One is for personal use. One is for, quote, Europe. (laughs) One is for prank calls. (laughs) What is it? Like crank yankers? What? And the last one, she says, it, quote, has a number I give out if people ask for my number, but I don't feel totally comfortable giving my real number and I don't want to be mean because I'm a pathological people pleaser. Absolutely incredible. Paris Hilton has so many creeps asking for her number. She has a separate phone for it. I bet it's bedazzled too. Number three, and this is probably most important. She opens up about the infamous Holy Trinity photo with Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan in the front seat of her car in 2006. Jason, um, my producer, if you could just jump in and tell uh, tell our phone of friends, what did I give you for your birthday this year? You got me one of those car windshield visor things. Yeah, sunshade. A sunshade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. a car person. Yeah. Um, of that photo of the three of them in the front seat of a car. Right. So when it and gets hot it. out, you're going to you're going to put that up and it will look like Paris, Lindsay and Brittany are sitting in the front seat of your car. Yeah. OK, this is the iconic photograph. And if you remember at the time, tabloids called it, quote, the bimbo summit. So Paris says, quote, I didn't love that wording, but my bangs looked super cute. She wrote, how often can you nail that? Really? Bangs are tricky. If that is what we're getting from this memoir, I am going to order it so that it can sit on my bedside table and never be read. Because she's right. Bangs are tricky. I also tried bangs in 2008. They never looked cute. This is a very fair point. Sounds like Paris is really letting us in, letting us see the real her. And I'm satisfied already. And Jason, when spring and summer arrives, if you don't put that in your front window... I'm going to be personally offended. I have it in there now. Oh, it's up? Yeah. Well, it's not up as we speak, but it's in my car ready for summer. Ready for action. It's ready for action. I'm so excited to to show it off. Good to hear it. Good to hear it. All right. Let's move from the mid-2000s where, let's be honest, I peaked and enter 2023. The Oscars happened on Sunday and they went off without a slap. I watched the entire four-hour broadcast without having seen any of the movies. I saw 80% of Elvis, and I saw half of Top Gun Maverick. I got to, like, the shirtless football scene, and then I fell asleep on the couch. Not because these aren't great works of cinema, but because as we have established on this show, I am dumb and busy. Dumb and busy. Also tired. I am a tired mom. And when I do have time to watch something, I opt for a dream home makeover as opposed to an all quiet on the Western front. Okay, just give me something quick and easy that will turn my brain to mush and lull me into a gentle sleep. That's all I want. Plus, the total runtime of all 10 Best Picture nominated movies this year was 24 hours and one minute. I don't have that kind of time, but you know who does? Louis Vertel. He's an Oscars expert, a comedy writer. He wrote for Jimmy Kimmel at the Oscars. He was backstage for it all. And I created this show to call people to explain shit to me when I don't have time to figure it out for myself. So let's phone a friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. As I mentioned, I am a super fan of Lewis. I have followed him online for years. I saw him IRL a few months ago. I got so excited. I approached him to tell him how much I love him. So let's just hope he doesn't hang up on me when he finds out I am his literal internet stalker. Hello. Hello, Lewis. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be here. I was just listening to you break down the Chris Rock special, and I you broke me down with it oh. because I needed it. Oh, wow. I'm so glad. Thank you. You listened to be like, should I be on this person's podcast? Is this a legitimate <laughs> thing? I'm glad you did your research. Well, I just needed to make sure you weren't secretly like Neocon or something. Yeah, you no. know. Yeah, that would have come out quick on the Chris Rock conversation, I think. <laughs> right, right. Um, I am so excited to talk to you. Not just because you were at the Oscars backstage, but you were there. And so I'm going to force you to tell us everything you know or saw. It's going to be like a CIA interrogation, if you will. Okay, great. Before we dive in, I need to tell you this. I have to get this out of the way. I love you so much. I stopped you in line at a bar a few months ago to tell you how much I love you. Do you remember this at all? I Yes, absolutely. Also, it's so... 
I mean, let me, well, let me tell you something. When something like that happens, and you know this too, it's so flattering because you can't um, see a podcast. So that means the person has done the research to know what you look like. <laughs> so it's this weird double flattery thing. That means I've internet stalked you. I know everything about you. And when I saw you behind me in line at a bar, I was like, <gasps> I had to say something. And then I've, it's, I've thought about it ever since because I said hello. And then I turned around and I got myself a drink. I should have bought you a drink, Louis Vertel. Oh, please. I don't I don't drink. So I literally was probably just waiting around to get what I get at a bar now, which is a club soda with a little bit of cranberry, which I'm not the kind of person who would say this normally, but there's no gayer sequence of <laughs> syllables than that. <laughs> I know you're not homophobic. I wouldn't make you say that. <laughs> okay. Sometimes I order it and they literally just shoo me away. Like I've insulted them by making them fix this for me. Oh, wow. Okay, well, now I get to talk to you for real, not just in a weird line in a bar. And before we dive into this year's Oscars, for no discernible reason, you have an encyclopedic knowledge about past Oscars. Would you say you're an Oscars savant? Yes. Mm. I definitely have more Oscar knowledge than almost anybody you'll ever meet. Yes, oh, certainly. my God. So if I were to ask you who won in any given category from any given year, you could probably tell me. At least, like, yeah, like the big categories. I tend to be glamour-oriented, mm. but if we're talking about all the acting categories, like Best Picture, Song, et cetera, like things like that, for sure. Most of the nominees, too. Mm. Anybody who orders a soda with crayon is glamour-oriented, so that all tracks. Yes, that's me. So I want you to prove it in a game that we're calling You Like the Oscars, You Really Like the Oscars. You like me right now. You like me. Thank you. <laughs> Sally Field, Best Actress Winner, 1979-1984, yes. God damn it, that was my first question. We haven't even cued the tension music. Cue tension music. Okay, well, you got the first one correct. I was going to ask you, <laughs> Sally Field's iconic You Like Me speech, when did she make it? Yeah, so that would have been the 1985 ceremony, but she won a 1980, uh, for the 1984 movie Places in the Heart, yes. Well, I'm going to have to get you to up, up the answer there. Who was she nominated against that year? A couple of weird nominees, okay. Judy Davis, who was up for A Passage to India, one of David Lean's worst movies. <laughs> you had Vanessa Redgrave in The Bostonians, <gasps> Sissy Spacek. Is she, That's yeah, correct. Yeah, is she up for, not missing, it's a couple, oh, Country, and then, oh yeah, and then Jessica Lange. Oh my it's the three, God. It's, it's the three movies, Places in the Heart, Country, and is it The River? Yes, anyway, it's The River! All, the river, yes, because they're all farm-oriented. So it was a really boring Best Actress here. Louis, you just nailed all five nominees in the category in 1985. And just to verify, were you born yet at that time? No, I was born uh, August 86. Okay. Next, name the Best Picture winner in 1964. 1964. Well, that would be My Fair Lady. Correct! And that's an unusual Best Picture winner because... Audrey Hepburn was not nominated for it, and that would be one of her most iconic performances. Wow. Okay. Who won Best Supporting Actress in 1993? It's funny that you say that, because that was the first ever award I watched at the Oscars live as a child. I was seven years old, uh -huh. and it was Anna Paquin in The Piano. That's correct. And Because I think that is what transformed my brain. When you're a child, uh -huh. and you see... Another, she was 11 when she won, but... Uh, she looked like a child. Yes. Like she looked like a seven-year-old. And when you see as someone, you know, kid in the suburbs, somebody else who looks like they're on their way to their first communion winning an Oscar, <laughs> you really think, oh, this is possible for me. You know, it like, it like plants a chip. Absolutely. Do you know that I wore berets to every event from that day forward for the next <laughs> 10 years? It was like a velvet beret, a floral beret. My school photo that year, I am wearing a beret. I blame uh, Anna no. Paquin. I, I think all little girls should look like Maria from Guess Who. You know, just like <laughs> slightly tilted towards the front. Glamour. I'm very familiar. Okay, let's increase the difficulty. This is too easy for you. Best original song, 1969? Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head from uh, 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 Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. No I'm an obsessive Burt Bacharach fan. No I'm, I'm an obsessive Burt Bacharach fan, yes. Best original song, 2005 awards. Uh, is that It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp? Absolutely it is. Yeah, yes. we just went Three, from six, raindrops mafia. falling on my head to Hard Out Here for a Pimp. Um, okay, last question. Kate Blanchett nominated for her eighth Oscar for Tar. What other movies, Lewis, was she nominated for? Oh, well, this is my dream question. She, <laughs> she, 
She started with Elizabeth, which is the movie where we really fell in love with her, even though I actually think it's an okay movie. It feels like a very PBS movie. She was then her second nomination she won for, which is The Aviator, where she played Katherine Hepburn, the only person to win an Oscar for playing an Oscar winner up until that point. Mm. Um, Then she was nominated for Notes on a Scandal, which is a fabulous movie where she co-stars with Judi Dench, and uh, she's basically blackmailed into having an affair with Judi Dench. That's paraphrasing, but that's basically what happens. We're getting plot lines as well. Continue. Um, She was nominated for two in one year, the Elizabeth the Golden Age and I'm Not There, where she played Bob Dylan, played uh, another Oscar winner. Uh, And then uh, we get to my favorites, which are Blue Jasmine, which she won for, uh, Carol, which is my favorite Cate Blanchett movie, Mm. and Tar, which is now my favorite Cate Blanchett performance. Correct! And that's how you play. You like the Oscars. You really like the Oscars. (laughs) Oh, my God. Louis, you're the Rain Man of the Academy Awards. 1988 Best Picture. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You're also a writer. Your day job, you're a writer for Jimmy Kimmel Live. That's correct. Was it a dream come true to write for Jimmy at the Oscars, given your, I'm going to say, obsession for the show? Yeah. I mean, I actually have kind of complicated feelings about it, which Mm. is... Throughout my life, I thought I would have to really fight to have to write for the Oscars. You know, I'm I'm a comic. I've spent my entire like half my life tweeting at this point. You know, trying to be funny, and it's all pop culture related. Like I'm not like a stand up who talks about my personal life. Really, like it's all about celebs and prestige and things like that. So to just basically get it because I already work for Jimmy and I work for the show was a little bit like, and that's it. Like it was like shocking in a oh, way. Wow. You know, I didn't expect it to come that easy, and um. I'm thrilled to. I would also say it's a pleasure to write for him because he has a resting, dry sense of humor that appeals to how I write. Mm-hmm. That said, it's like it, it is also work in a way because I'm giving him jokes I, I personally wouldn't say, you know, like he's just a different voice than I am. So it was challenging and also thrilling because it's what I'm born to do. I mean, literally, Jesse, I would wake up in the morning and my assignment would be we need a round of jokes on Andrea Riseborough. I mean, like, that's my life. Like, I can't believe I get to say that. That's so amazing. You know, that's, that's like your the dream. life for me. Yeah. You're living your dream. Yeah. And you're the only one on earth who's going to get excited <laughs> to write jokes about Andrea Riseborough. That's what I mean. It's like a syndrome. They're, they're really playing into my whole thing. <laughs> I will say this year must have been particularly challenging because everyone is tuning in, I feel, initially to see what Jimmy is going to say about the slap. So when you're going in to write the monologue with Jimmy, how do you approach the slap of it all? Well, I mean, like, the people who, uh, like the head writers on Jimmy Kimmel Live, uh, one of them being Jimmy's wife, are... Uh, Molly McNearney, who's who knows the, uh, his show and his style front and back and is so helpful, whatever. They make it easy for us. They're like, all right, let's do a round of jokes about Will Smith. We'll just like say it broadly enough. And then you submit whatever. You can submit 15 jokes. You can submit a lot fewer than that. Like whatever you think is quality, whatever. You know, I'll sit with like a giant iced coffee, legs up and be like, wait for something to come to me. And if it feels right, I would submit it. You know, because this is something... In any other year, I'd just be tweeting about. Right. I would be doing this anyway. Right. How many slap jokes did you all write that we'll never hear? Tons and tons. I mean, like, we probably did. We started writing on this before Christmas. Oh, wow. And yeah, because like I I spent New Year's in Miami and I was doing a couple of assignments there. And I think we did altogether 18 or 19 batches of jokes, like with like five joke topics each. So it went on months and months and months. Wow. And the monologue is actually pretty short. Like, I think it ended up being under 10 minutes this year. Yeah. Everybody submitted brilliant stuff. And necessarily, most of that won't see the light of day. Is there a joke that you wrote that made the show that you're particularly proud of? I was psyched with, I mean, any joke that ends in an actress's name. I mean, that's my calling card. I, I, uh, <laughs> yes, I had one which was... In Avatar The Way of Water, James Cameron got to do the thing he is most passionate about, drowning Kate Winslet. <laughs> yes, that was you. Yes, that yes, yes. That was great. Were you at all responsible for the Tom Cruise joke that ended in L. Ron Hubba Hubba? No, I I believe that is uh, John Bynes, who has been with the show forever and ever and ever. And what, the minute I heard it, I was so jealous of it. I'm like, it's oh, it's right there. Yes. Yeah. God, it was good. It was good. Yeah. 
I don't want to intimidate you, Lewis, but I have hosted the Canadian Country Music Awards a few times. So I think oh. those Oscars, then Canadian right. Country Music if Awards. That fits into EGOT. Yeah, certainly. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, and when I'm hosting those shows, I get violent night sweats. I am changing jokes right up to the minute. I'm like changing them in my sleep. Is Jimmy at all like that or is he a professional? Oh, no, certainly. Uh, what's, what's interesting is I don't think of him as a particularly nervous person. I remember hearing he was at his most nervous when he had to host the White House Correspondents Dinner because that's like oh. an unusual crowd and like Obama's particularly intimidating or something. I don't know. But with this, I mean, this crowd is full of people he interviews, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not quite as um, daunting ultimately. But yeah, they are definitely toggling small jokes and like getting down to the like, economy of the best possible language to use you know that gets the audience's laughter in while moving on to the next joke so it's right up to the minute yes and see that's a friendly crowd for jimmy for me i'm looking at thousands of stone-faced white men in cowboy hats which (laughs) is intimidating when you're coming out in like a razzle dazzle sequin outfit right i just want to know from your perspective you're backstage the whole night writing right this and in this occasion, I was in case something like the slap happened or there was an unexpected win. But for the most part, we wrote to all discernible possibilities, you know, like, oh, if everything everywhere all at once wins blank award, what can we say there, et cetera? Yeah. Got it. Okay. So you have everything already planned, but just in case another, for instance, slap occurs, you're back there ready to go. But when it's you, how do you concentrate on your job when, like, Halle Berry and Michael B. Jordan are brushing past you. Are you just creepily staring at famous people for three of the four hours? Well, I mean, I'm, I would be doing that anyway, you know, on my TV <laughs> elsewhere. So that's just incorporated into my life, into right. how I function. Yes. But um, in this case, we were, uh, the writers were sequestered in this little area, basically on the stage, like at the back of the stage, uh, there's like a little walled off area. It, it, uh I would describe it this way. When Lady Gaga was performing, I thought possibly it sounded horrible to the audience because I could barely hear her vocal. And then what I realized is we were sitting right behind the drums. Uh, So so we're like right on stage, basically. But but that's really cordoned off. Like I'm not seeing people in the flesh in that space. You know, like Mm. they're passing out. Like I literally went to the bathroom at one point, not thinking about how close I was to the stage. And I'm not kidding ran into Denai Guerrera after she introduced Rihanna. Yes. So it wow. was very, very close. Wow. Wait, are you telling me that you went to the bathroom during the Rihanna performance? Uh, it, no, it was after she had walked off. And, but I will say this about the Rihanna performance. I Please. had seen her perform it twice up until that point. Uh, so. Oh, you're there in the rehearsals too? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. In the audience. I I saw all these different... You know how Jimmy at the beginning of the show... um descended yes, in yes. i watched several different versions of that being choreographed some more terrifying than others and mm. i am not af- i'm basically afraid of heights so <laughs> yeah i watched that like all day i, I had seen probably uh, up to nine hours of uh oscars prep prior to oh being there oh my god okay so who was most jaw-dropping up close oh gosh well i it didn't really occur to me until i was standing right there next to her that I am an obsessive and huge fan of Rooney Mara. I uh, no. love her in Carol. I no. love her in. Do you not love her? Well, go on. I'm gonna. I'm gonna hear you out. Just seeing her, I was like, and her kind of squirrely antisocial energy. I just there's something about that, like that kind of Kristen Stewart type person, where I believe I can kind of talk with them in a way that is engaging and like not be a creepy fan and just express that I'm like a huge fan and not weird them out. Like I, I feel I have that power. That might be a sociopath thing to think, but I was next to her uh, in the lobby during uh, the middle of the show at some point, And I was so intimidated. I just didn't say anything. I was just like, I can't do this. I can't ruin this for me. Oh my God. No, you need to channel me at the bar that one night when <laughs> I saw you and approach. <laughs> I guess I know. I am going to say that that squirrely antisocial energy, to quote you, is like the one type of energy I can't, I can't, I can't. The Kristen Stewart's of the world, I cannot. I had like a Hugh Grant. We'll talk about the Hugh Grant, Ashley Graham. I had like an incident with Kristen Stewart like that. And Rooney Mara just on the carpet, like, (laughs) the energy is like, 
it's I can't. Even when Sarah Polly asked everyone in her movie to stand up to like celebrate the moment with her, they cut to Rooney Mara and she's like, "I'm not gonna stand up." Ugh. I was like, "Just stand up, bitch!" Like, <laughs> so, I'm I can't I can't with that energy. I understand that. There's just something about her where I feel like a lot of that is a truly cerebral person. Like, I don't think she's, I, I'm not getting dick from her. Mm. I, I, some people don't have the instinct to be really gregarious. Uh, and I, I feel like I kind, I kind of get that or I can okay. kind of dial into that. Okay, fair. So she was your most jaw-dropping, your your biggest moment up close. Well, I, I mean, in terms of, it really struck me how much of a fan I was in that mm. moment. But of course, like, I did catch a glimpse of, you know, Kate Blanchett walking by dressed as what I'm going to call a Finnish first lady. <laughs> I would call her look kind of like like a Tilda look. Like Tilda would wear that it's kind of top, look. you know. Absolutely. Yes. Oh my god. Okay, we're going to get to fashion sure. in a moment. So, I'm going to assume you've seen all the movies nominated for best picture? Oh, certainly, yes. Absolutely. Um I have seen none in their entirety. <laughs> okay. So, you tell me, Lewis, did the right people win? What was the biggest snub? Well, I I would compare the Everything Everywhere All at Once sweep to when Schitt's Creek swept the Emmys a few years ago in Miller. that it's something where I feel like, you know, you and your niece watched it together, uh-huh. loved it. Uh, it. It felt, you know, uh, new and exciting and, and goofy. Uh-huh. And But I think also in that space, people get swept up in the sentiment and kind of forget that the other movies existed mm. because- just did did it need every award like did jamie lee curtis need that oscar i mean like i'm not a black panther wakanda forever fan and truly in one scene angela bassett outclasses everything jamie lee curtis does in that movie and i think jamie lee curtis would agree you know Mm, wow so then why did we because that's what everyone is saying is the biggest snub was the angela bassett loss why did we like to me i understand that even if the role isn't incredible the academy likes to reward a beloved actor or you know for their body of work but i'm like jamie lee curtis's body of work is freaky friday and the halloween franchise is that what we're rewarding right and also it's like not that she's not great in freaky friday or true lies or the halloween movies or whatever but yeah it is funny who they sometimes it, it, you know it's like sandra bullock winning for the blind side you know it's like i can mm-hmm. think of a couple of performances before then where she was you know great or you know i mean like i she's hilarious and miscongeniality like there's plenty of options love her in speed whatever right none of that to me says we need to give her an oscar for this movie where she's like half-heartedly doing an accent i don't I, know i feel the same way um, my pronouns, Lewis, are dumb, busy, and tired. So if I make <laughs> okay. time to see one of the movies, which should it be? Well, I mean, I'm going to respond with the gay, obsessive Oscars part of my brain and oh. say tar because oh. for, I, I, I'll say this. Everything Everywhere All at Once is a movie that I think has many merits. I love Michelle Yeoh in it. I love Kiwi Kwan in it. Yeah. I feel like it's a movie that's constantly telling you it's weird and outside the box. Literally, the characters cannot stop calling the situation weird. Uh, In Tar, it is a movie that exists outside the box, and nobody is commenting on how gothically strange it is the entire time. (laughs) It is an extremely, I don't know how else to put this, adult movie. So if you have time to be sucked into a very serious and kind of confusing and alienating drama, I really Mm. recommend that because I can't compare that movie ultimately to any other movie. Okay, I love that. I love that. I thought you would say everything everywhere all at once, but I'm going to give my three hours to Tar. So um, (laughs) since the Oscars aired on Sunday, rumors have been swirling about certain things that went down. And because calling you is the closest I'll ever come to being at the Oscars, I need you to tell me if these rumors are true or false. Are you ready? I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Okay, I'm going to call this segment Academy of What? What? And that's when... (laughs) You're Not a writer, a writer too. Yeah. on the mm-hmm. Academy Awards. True or false, Lady Gaga confirmed her Oscar performance three days before the show. Yes, I think that's exactly correct. Yes. Really? Yeah, I think there was, I mean, I will just say this as a both an Oscars fan and a Lady Gaga fan. Mm. She is obsessed with the Oscars. So I, I <laughs> oh. had the feeling she would be there, even though we kept hearing, well, she's not confirming. It's like, doesn't that sound like Lady Gaga to you? Like, wouldn't it be weird if she were like, let me put this on my calendar two weeks in advance, you know. She's got a little bit of Rain Man of the Oscars, too. She's She loves it. 
Yes. I, I, years and years ago, uh, I was uh, an intern for The Advocate, that gay uh, lesbian yeah. magazine, and I was their first interview with Lady Gaga for that magazine. <gasps> and she was so encyclopedic about um, Madonna at the time. She was talking about like Madonna eras. She loved how, like like many gay men, she's most obsessed with her erotica era. And in that moment, I was like, this is a peer of mine. This is somebody who really is cataloging pop culture in a in a very serious way, which makes sense. She has an album called The Fame. But Wow. No, she she was not gonna skip the big glamorous moment. I just don't I knew she wouldn't. And yet it was not glamorous at all. When I saw that no makeup look, I was like, this is not like a no makeup look. This is a freshly scrubbed in the sink face. Yes. Like it was correct. wiped down. Also, I felt like the camera was so close during that performance. I could see up her nostrils, Lewis. I was like, there's her cilia. I mean, (laughs) impressive. She sounded amazing, but I was so distracted. I'm wearing more makeup for this podcast interview than she did for her performance on the Academy Awards. I had watched the rehearsal. Either It was either the night before. No, it was that morning, I think. Mm. And she was hunched over. No makeup. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking, oh, I'm getting a really candid, strange Lady Gaga moment. Mm. And then she did the same thing for the actual ceremony. It's like, I, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, un, I'm not privileged at all. You were <laughs> like, I'm going to tell everybody about this. this. What an experience. Okay, true or false, Jimmy Kimmel had two opening monologues, one he would do if Rihanna was in her seat on time and one in case she was not. I can think of jokes we had written about if she were in her seat and holding a baby, I don't know that that means Wait, they're two what? separate monologues. She there was, was supposed a room, to hold her baby. There was there, there was potential. Well, we didn't know. Like oh. if she was going to bring her child, because that would be pretty <gasps> rad, right? If she just brought her kid to the Oscars. Um, so so we had jokes about that. I will even that. bring my kid to dinner, and she brings her kid to the Oscars. I I can see it. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, we definitely wrote rounds and rounds of jokes to that too. Because Re- also like. Rihanna actually is a celebrity where you don't know what level of participation you're going to get from her, you know? Right. So at the very last minute, you had to say, like, she's not in her seat. Let's go with the other with the other version. Yes. Deleting frantically and sending to uh, the prompter, who I believe is the same prompter who works for us at Jimmy Kimmel Live. Oh, yeah. Right up to the second. God. Wow. Okay. True or false? Jimmy put soft pretzels under everybody's chairs. I know there was food there and yes. I had I had heard originally he wanted it to be like lunchables and then the <laughs> academy was like what if we didn't do lunchables but yeah uh you, you know a refrigerated crackers are we sure yeah um no. uh-uh. so if it was pretzels I knew there was food of some kind underneath you the put chairs food yes. under there but you didn't see anybody eat it I sure didn't okay um true or false Tom Cruise refused to attend the Oscars to avoid an awkward run-in with ex Nicole Kidman I don't know. There's lots oh. of rumors about why he wasn't there. And we, yeah. I think early on we thought he, oh, well, we thought he would be because of Top Gun Maverick. Mm-hmm. I naturally assumed he didn't go because he sort of figured he wouldn't be winning anything significant. But honestly, if Nicole's there, I, I, I think over the years they have been at a couple of ceremonies together, yeah. but I wouldn't be surprised if that were the reason. Really? I thought yeah. maybe he just didn't want to sit there for the Scientology jokes. Like it's, you know. Yeah, but uh, I, I don't think, no, he and like, he's been on like Jimmy Kimmel Live a whole bunch. Like mm-hmm. I think he, he wouldn't have thought Jimmy would say anything truly controversial about him, I don't think. Interesting. Okay, uh, true or false, Hugh Grant's line about looking like a scrotum was improvised. I certainly did not write it, and I had never read it before that. Yeah. Really? Well, also, Hugh Grant is hilarious. Slay. That's just the way of it. Yeah. I mean, but, and more on Hugh Grant in just a moment, but let me wrap up that segment. That's how you play Academy of What? <laughs> Thank you. You're committed to like, yeah, you're you're yeah. producing this bit as well as hosting. You see what I'm doing here? I'm all, all, all of the things. Um, so let's talk about Hugh Grant sure. and Ashley Graham. The interview on the red carpet, if anybody missed this, it happened on the ABC Live pre-show. So Ashley Graham, who is a model, she is a twin mom. Uh, she was one of the hosts doing red carpet interviews. And people can't stop talking about how rude Hugh Grant was to her during the interview. I think, in watching it, Lewis, I think it all started when she misinterpreted his use of the literary expression, vanity fair. Totally. What's your favorite thing about coming to the Oscars? It's fascinating. It's a, it's a, uh, the whole of humanity is here. It's, uh, <laughs> it's Vanity Fair. Oh, it's all about Vanity yeah. Fair. Yes, that's where we let loose and have a little bit of fun. 
Louis, I feel like you use the term Vanity Fair in your everyday life. He was referring to the razzle-dazzle of the event, right? Was he not referring to the book? Like, William make yeah, these Thackeray like Vanity Fair? Yeah, it was like a literary reference, right? Yes, right. And instead, she interprets it as the Vanity Fair party. And to me, that's where he kind of just completely dismisses her as being like, oh, dumb or vapid and, and shuts down. It's such a mess. But because the Oscars are about winners and losers, and so is the red carpet pre-show, Lewis, I'm going to make you <laughs> tell me whose side are you on? Are you Team Hugh Grant or Team Ashley Graham? Well, I will say this. So I, in 2019 and 2020, I hosted the Oscars red carpet pre-show for the Oscars. So mm-hmm. like I did it live on like Twitter or something. Yes. And you have to know a lot of information. I mean, like you yes. really have to like, it, it's it can only be for somebody like me who is really storing information about these people all the time. You know, people like Ryan Seacrest do it really well. And I think the secret to them is they know a lot of shit. Like Ryan Seacrest has a really great memory. Right. So in order to do the job well, you need to be a specific kind of person. And I feel like if you're Hugh Grant talking to somebody who's asking, what was it like being in Glass Onion, a movie you were in for 30 seconds? Yes. It's like, well, what is he supposed to say? Like, it was amazing. He He's literally a cameo and she didn't know that either. Whose team are you on? I don't think he should have been a dick, though, but I think where he's coming from is understandable. This is why we need to be best friends, Louis Vertel. (laughs) I am 100. I I feel that I am Team Hugh Grant because I have done like you. I have done the Oscars, red carpets. I've done them all. And yes, it's not even it's not even that she was the wrong person. It's that she didn't do the research. And I guarantee you, like you have to study that shit like it's the SATs. Someone probably gave her binders, cue cards, packages with all the presenters in totally. Right question ideas. Like, I will always write my own questions. I'm sure you do too, because I don't want to ask the same thing as everybody else. And at the very least, you can ask general questions, but you should have one specific question for each presenter, each person that you know could come down the carpet. Instead, this is literally what she asked him. She asks him, what's your favorite thing about coming to the Oscars? What are you most excited to see tonight? What are you wearing tonight? And what does it feel like to be in Glass Onion? These are questions my five-year-old would have asked. Louis, what does it feel like? Like you said, he was in it for 30 seconds. And, like, that's what he said. Well, I'm barely in it. I'm in it for about three seconds. Yeah, but still, you showed up and you had fun, right? Uh, almost. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay. The next day, she said, like, kill him with kindness. I was like, you killed him with a bad interview. <laughs> Uh, I have saved the best dressed for last, Lewis, because, you know, I might not have time to watch all the movies, but I have plenty of time to judge the fashion. Sure. So I want to start with trends. Okay. Are you up for critiquing people's physical appearance today with me? Why uh, why stop now? Yes, (laughs) let's go. So a lot of white. I really felt like it was giving Kleinfeld out there. A lot of white, a <laughs> lot of exposed corsets too. Like specifically, there was like a Panina tournée from Kleinfeld circa Say Yes to the Dress 2012. Oh, Lady yes, Gaga, yes. Lady Gaga, Halle Bailey, Mindy Kaling all had the like boning. I could hear Randy saying like, it's giving sex appeal. That was what I was sort of feeling. Yeah, it felt like kind of dialed back in general. Like even like, uh, like, Michelle Yeoh had worn crazier things before yes. uh, this day, or like Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, like not like bold colors anywhere. It was all pretty uniform and creamy. Yes. And you know what? That's why I was my favorite looks were like the brighter, bold looks. So my favorite looks, I thought Halle Bailey looked incredible in that teal Dolce & Gabbana gown. Yes. I also loved Janelle Monet in the orange Vera Wang. Like anyone who can show their lower stomach, like can expose their muffin top in a way that looks sexy. That was impressive and amazing. Also, that maybe is my favorite thing about her is like, she just, I think, loves being a celebrity. And so you're going to get an exciting Mm. look. Like she's never going to be boring that way. I think Mm. Janelle Monae is for like somewhat obsessed with being quote unquote interesting. And I think sometimes it comes across in the music. Like I love the song Django Jane, Uh but really her fashion is where I think she best expresses that. Absolutely. Okay, what do you what did you did you see Selma Hayek in that sequin Gucci? Oh, yes. I mean, I was like a ooga, like I was a like a man from like another time when I well, saw Well, she's her. like the empress of ooga. I mean, if I mean 
I associate that phrase with her maybe more than anybody else who has ever lived. Like she's up there with like Jane Mansfield or something. Absolutely. Okay, I'm pulling up my drum roll sound effect. This is a very high tech show because my best dress, Lewis, drum roll, please. Okay. Was Angela Bassett. Oh, she looked, uh, and again, a bold color. So it really stood out amongst this, uh, you know, oatmeal plateau. Yes. And yeah. like, apologies in advance, but Angela Bassett did the thing. Angela Bassett did the thing. Oh, it yeah. It was a perfect dress. I felt like she was dressed to win. And even if she didn't win the Oscar, she won my best dress award, which arguably better. Also, I mean, the boldness of what she wore reflected the boldness of the costumes in Black Panther, too. So it was like, a- appropriate in a way in addition to being fabulous okay i want to move on to worse but in this case for me it's not necessarily worse it's like most disappointing dressed it's people i wanted more from okay so i think and you know you said it first but like kate blanchett was not my fave yeah right no it, it felt like um what your mom wears at the rehearsal dinner for your wedding you know yeah it was mother of the bride energy I expect more from her didn't love it next one and this is again very controversial Rihanna on the red carpet like I think she looked amazing I loved how edgy the Aliyah look was she's got this gorgeous pregnant body but at that award show where we didn't have a Zendaya or a JLo to bring the A-list glamour I needed her to like come big like Met Gala big I needed a statement and I did not get it from her I love what she performed in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, because the, the sepia lighting and like the black things she was wearing, I just thought that looked really great. I just wanted like bigger, brighter, more. And my worst, sorry, my most disappointing dressed. Drum roll, please. It's Florence Pugh. Oh, yes. Even her makeup was a bit strange. Uh, mm. I almost didn't recognize her initially. Oh, you didn't see the septum piercing and instantly recognize no, right. I, I wasn't flashing back to the uh, Don't Worry Darling press tour. Yeah, you didn't see Aperol spritz immediately. For me, it was like giving parachute linens. I wanted more. I felt like it was like the color. It felt like a prototype for Princess Diana's wedding gown. Like it wasn't fully Ugh. finished. And she had such great looks in the last year and on that press tour. I just wanted more. Yeah. I felt like she saved the bleh for last, you know? And also, again, no color. Just No color. Did you boring. have a worst or most disappointing dressed i am sinking um i what you know what paul mescal i feel like is a celebrity where i think he could be really bold with his fashion choices you know like sort of find the the chalamet lane and give us you know an exposed uh breastbone or something (laughs) and so far he's just you know this is really just a a chummy straight guy dressing well enough. But he is. He has like a mullet happening. He has the hair of my one-year-old daughter who hasn't quite grown it on the top. So that's like, he's, that's unique, you know? Yeah, right. Verging into, yeah, old Kurt Russell territory or Absolutely. something. Absolutely. Can we talk briefly about the looks at the Vanity Fair Oscar party? Where sure. I believe this year you actually just had to show nipple to get in. Like, no invite necessary, just a hint of areola, and we'll let you pass the gates. But I think God concurs. I think God thinks you should expose a little bit of that. Side (laughs) Side teat. Yeah. There was so much side teat. There was front teat. There was Hunter Schaefer in a feather placed over her nipples. Okay, I don't know if I like that look. I know people are obsessed with it. I think what people are pointing out is that she has a kick-ass body. She does. That's it. That's it. I was like, the breasts I was looking at took my breath away, Lewis. That's Were they what I feathers? Was it was one feather. Yeah. It was I just more don't like, know. I just, the engineering of it all was fascinating. Then you had Olivia Wilde who was wearing like a pirate's eye patch over her nipple. Just a single eye patch. I just feel like I sound like my mother, but everyone was in a brassiere or mesh. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you remind me of my mom in the mid-2000s being like, <laughs> What is with all the bare midriffs? She was so she was so devastated by having to see the middles of people's body. Well, God, now she needs to see the side boob, the under boob. She gets to see the areola. I'd like to hear oh, from your mother Oh, she's in church after. right now. I guarantee it. Yeah. I think we need to go to church after this conversation. We really, <laughs> we really covered it all. We covered it all from the red carpet to the after party to the nipples at the after party. Is there anything else that you'd like to add in on this Oscars conversation, Lewis? 
Truly, just that I better be back to write it again. I mean, again, it's oh. like, what do I do with my life? No, I mean, it's like, I, I've now achieved the thing I wanted to do. I mean, he's written for the Oscars. He's appeared on Phone a Friend. It is all downhill from here. This is my EGOT. Yes, right. This is your EGOT. Do you feel a little bit of relief now that award season is over? Yes. Also, it goes on so long at, at, right now. I think right. we will course correct and make the Oscars come back to late February soon. Mm. But for the time being, I mean... It's like five months of yes. lead up to this moment. So it, it is a relief to be done with it. That said, now what like summer movies exist and I just hate that shit. Oh. So I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah, you gotta just lock yourself inside all summer long and wait until the Kate next Kate Blanchett film rolls out. Um, I'm just glad I don't have to pretend for five months that I've seen the Banshees of Inishirin. That's a relief <laughs> for me. Um, By the way, oh, if she had won Carrie Condon, I would have yes. loved that too. She's amazing in that movie. Okay, fair. Uh, before we hang up, I just thought for fun, um, who won Best Supporting Actor in 1947? Uh, Best Supporting Actor in 1947 is Edmund Gwen in Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't even know Great who that win. is. Great win. Great yeah. win. Okay. Well, you just won Best Supporting Podcast host, Lewis. Thank you for being my phone a friend. Now everybody knows why I'm a Lewis Vertel stan. Um, and, you know, for anybody who wants to get more, follow Lewis at Lewis Fertel on all the platforms. Listen to him on Keep It and see him when you pop up on Jimmy Kimmel. It's my favorite. Thank you so much. I had such a blast with you. Have, have me back all the time. Maybe I won't leave next time. Oh my God. I still owe you a crayon and soda. So we'll make that happen. Okay. All right. If, if you can form the syllables in your, in your head without, <laughs> you know, calling glad, I, I <laughs> would appreciate it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Lewis. Bye. Thanks, Jesse. Bye-bye. Ah, I love him. After the break, I'm checking my voicemail. You ask me questions that are so much better than Ashley Graham's. So I'm not going to Hugh Grant you. I'll tell you what my husband Evan did to get you, my phone of friends, all riled up. That's next. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We're back and I'm ready to answer any question you throw my way live on this podcast without rolling my eyes or being rude and British. I promise. Let's check my voicemail. Check, check, check your voicemail. Hey, Jesse, it's Lindsay calling from Toronto. First of all, I love listening to your podcast. So it makes me laugh every single time. I do have a question for you, though. I'm a mother of two. I have a three year old and a one year old, and I'm just recently come back to work from maternity leave. So my question to you is, how do you talk so fast? So since returning to work after my second, my brain is so incredibly slow and I'm constantly making mistakes. So any advice would be helpful on how to return back to work properly. Also, the half-court shot of your husband um, making the shot at your at your son's uh, school is definitely a mom thirst trap that I think we need to discuss. Okay, thanks so much. Bye. Oh, my God. Lindsay from Toronto. Yes, I feel this so hard. Okay, we'll talk about going back to work in a sec. But 
let's discuss my husband's quote-unquote mom thirst trap. First of all, he's probably so excited to hear you say that, although he does not listen to this show. So I posted a video of this on my Instagram, but to fill you in, my boys' elementary school had a playathon, and part of it was a basketball shootout for the parents, which is so funny because, of course, all the dads who, like, used to be athletic in high school are stepping onto the court. They're, like, puffing up their 45-year-old chests. They're dusting off their Kirkland cargo shorts. They're, like, showing off their dribbling moves as if they aren't going to have to go see a chiropractor immediately afterwards. And my husband, Evan, is absolutely out there, like, stretching. And you just watch dad after dad go up there and hit bricks and air balls. And finally, Evan goes up. He hits the layup. He hits the free throw. He hits the three-point shot. He gets to the half-court shot, which we are told no one has ever hit in the history of the school. And my husband hits the damn half-court shot. (laughs) And everybody in the school goes crazy. But I will tell you this, Lindsay. No one goes crazier than me, okay? For the first time in years, I was all, that's my man. That's my man, father of my children. I can't remember the last time I had a that's my man moment, but goddamn, there in that little elementary school basketball court, I finally understood why the Kardashians date NBA players. Felt good. And then our kid got pink eye and the magic was lost. Going back to work after having babies, let's talk about it. Because no matter when you do it, it is so hard. And I I, I feel bad. I, I, I don't really have any advice on how to go back to work properly, as you said, because I don't think anybody can. You know, people expect you to return to work and go back to doing what you did exactly as you did it. But That's an impossible task because you're a different person now. You know, you have a baby. You're a parent. Your body did a crazy thing. Your hormones are doing crazy things. You're functioning on less sleep. You have new priorities. You care about different things. You can't go back to doing the job you once did in the same way you did it. So so take that pressure off because that's okay. You know, you're still going to be good at your job. You just need to give yourself time to figure out how. Um, I made the insane decision to go back to my daytime talk show eight weeks after birthing twins. It was really a production decision I made with the network when I was dumb and childless. I was like, sure, yeah, that'll work. Why shouldn't I go back at eight weeks? And then the night before I'm supposed to go back to work and appear on a daytime talk show, I realized exactly why I shouldn't go back at eight weeks. I was still bleeding I could not walk straight. I was up feeding and pumping four times a night. And the night before, I have this visceral memory of standing in my kitchen at 3 a.m., like, unhooking my pump. I'm so tired, thinking, like, what am I doing? Even if I was mentally ready to go back, my body wasn't. I had this moment where I walked into the reception at the CBC on my first day back, and the receptionist was so lovely, and she said, hi, Jesse, welcome back. And I just started weeping, like convulsive crying in front of this poor receptionist, the guilt and the exhaustion and the fear and the hormones. It's brutal. And and like I just want you to know you're not alone. You really aren't. I think I felt, I wonder if you felt this way. I, I felt like I I was just so afraid of being replaced when I was gone. You know, I was so afraid that they would find someone else or no one would miss me or the show would do better without me. And I think that's why I went back when I was absolutely not ready. I also remember I had this tight red dress that I had to wear on day one, and we had to get three of the same dress in case my boobs leaked through it. And they did thrice. If you find yourself changing out of your work attire because your breasts have leaked through it, chances are you were not ready to go back to work. I will say I did feel really supported. Um, and I'll also say that I think the the reason that I went for a third kid is because I felt like I missed that postpartum experience. Like I wanted that first year home with my baby. I wanted to breastfeed and, and bond. And, and I felt like that kind of got robbed from me the first time. And, you know, I wanted to have it. And that's why I will be breastfeeding Romy until she's 12. Coco Melon! Coco Melon! Thank you for your message, Lindsay. And allow me to just give my number out on this show. This is my real number. It's not my prank call number or my Europe number. 
This is my real phone number. It is 323-448-0068. Call me anytime. Ask me anything. I will answer it live on the podcast. And that's our show, everybody. My God, we covered high art, low art, a real cultural roller coaster today. Thank you to Louis Vertel for blessing us with his absolutely unnecessary plethora of Oscar knowledge. Thank you for listening. And now I'm going to go peel my child away from Coco Melon so I can put drops in her pink eye. The glamour of Hollywood. See you next Thursday. Bye. Phone the Fan was created by our mom, Jessie Crixie. The executive producers are Jesse Kruksink and Jason Yanba. The technical producer is Rob Perra. The amazing theme song and sexy interludes are by Jay Melanowski from Badwin Sound Clash. Phone a Friend is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Credits are by us, Ray Gatika and Rio Gatika. We're her kids. That's crazy, right? Wow, you're still listening? Okay, see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.